This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I am John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now as we sit, you know, something like a a week away from spring training starting, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. Hi, everybody. What's going on, Al? And our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. Nathan joining us from his basement where he is uh, trying to uh, recover from a little bout of uh, what's been keeping us all down for a while, but he's a, he's a fighter and he's coming through and joining us on the podcast today. I'm glad to be with you, John. <laughs> I'm glad to be with you uh, virtually and not in person. It, uh, <laughs> I think my whole family joins me in that sentiment. Yeah, <laughs> we're, glad you, we're glad you're doing well, though. Oh yeah, I should have said that. Thank you. Get, get yeah, feel better, Nate. Yeah. I, I, I speak for John as well when I when I tell you we're happy that you're doing well. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It was, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend getting COVID nineteen. I would say if uh, you're on the fence, go for the vaccine instead. <laughs> there well there you have it. A nice PSA. And of course, we should say. And I mean, you know, we've been kind of treating this a little lightly, maybe more lightly than we should. But obviously, some of the big news coming out recently is there's a vaccine site at Yankee Stadium and. We saw that when it opened on Friday, February 5th, there were just some statements coming out that there's a lot of times when you see statements from baseball teams or baseball organizations when they try to insert themselves into the news in some ways. And and rather, what you saw in this case was the hope and the feeling of, I don't want to say victory, but the feeling of progress by so many people at seeing a line of people waiting to be vaccinated at Yankee Stadium. And after a year in which no one was at Yankee Stadium, it, it's a pretty special reason for people to be going there right now. So obviously, if you are a Bronx resident, because that's who this is open to right now, if you just want more information about it, uh, I, I urge you, of course, to check it out and, and hopefully get vaccinated. But it's really special to be a part of an organization that has opened up its facility to uh, help make this happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a game changer certainly in the Bronx, and it's just, just one of the many things that the Yankees organization have, have done right over the years, and, and certainly this year, and, and it's something that's just so needed, and it's a great thing. Absolutely. So, look, that that's uh, obviously the real important news, and I guess we could leave it there if you want to and move on to other <laughs> other things, but uh, this is a cool time right now. We, we, we were through the Super Bowl. It was... Not the world's most interesting game, but certainly it was fun to watch Boston fans be miserable for a couple hours on Sunday night. I think that all Yankees fans enjoyed at least that part of it, even those Yankees fans who are Jets fans. But I, I, I will say, you know, you reach that point. The Super Bowl happens and you start thinking about spring training. And 
I don't know if we've ever needed spring training more than we need it right now. So as long as it always feels when you wait, what is now as we're recording this eight days or six days or seven days until we start seeing news out of Tampa, I, 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 I'm more thirsty for it than ever in my life. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's, it's something where, you know, I, um, you're always excited about the start of spring training, especially being associated with the Yankees, because it's always a team that we're looking forward to seeing compete, not just for a division title, but for a championship. And of course, that's the case this year. I, I just think coming out of last year, uh, which for you know all intent and purposes in, in every which way was, was not what we uh, thought it was going to be, wanted it to be on the field, off the field, in every way. I, I don't know. It's just, it just it echoes or, or feels like a new beginning uh, in a lot of ways. Obviously, there's still a lot of issues. And it's still going to look a lot different than you know spring training looked in 2019 or at the beginning of last year. But it's a start, and I think that's what it feels like to me. That's what I wrote in our in my you know monthly column, press box column for the spring training program and our, our spring issue of Yankees magazine. It's a start. It's a start of something good. I think uh, just like we just talked about with Yankee Stadium being a vaccine site, you know, every day, uh, everywhere, uh, more people are vaccinated. Things are going to get better. Uh, not to say there's not going to be tragedy, and, and obviously there has been. But, you know, spring training is the start. It's the start of something special, and it's it's kind of uh, onward and upward and, and um, uh, hopefully a, a journey that uh, in many ways, you know, inside of baseball and outside of baseball takes us to a really good place. Yeah, it's definitely always uh, one of the exciting times of the year when uh, you get the first glimpse of the Yankees in their uniforms down there in Tampa, and uh, we get to roll out our first issue of Yankees magazine of the season. So, uh, you know, I'm excited for that to happen and, and for subscribers to, to get their first issue of 2021. It is kind of that fun time for us right now when on the one hand, our days get a lot busier because we are frantically working to finish the spring magazine right now while also already thinking about the yearbook and the April issue. This is definitely our busiest time of every year. On the other hand, there's just something that feels so great about editing baseball stories, writing baseball stories, thinking that, you know, baseball's happening again. And again, I, I can keep repeating myself as many times as you want, but it feels especially good this year. But I think what would be a good idea for this, really this first episode where we get to talk about new content, really, that we've had since October, there's an interesting uh, pair of features in this upcoming issue of Yankees Magazine, one by you, Al, one by you, Nate, where we look at home runs in two very different ways. One is from the Major League Baseball home run champion of 2020, and another is looking at home runs through the prism of what is probably the most unlikely home run story of 2020, or probably longer, and that's uh, the story that Nate wrote about three home run games in Yankees history because, of all people, Kyle Higashioka had a three home run game last year. And if I'm laughing, I'm sorry, Kyle, but you kind of get it. Um, <laughs> so, but why don't we start off with, with Luke Voigt, the home run champ. Al, you had a chance to to talk with Luke for a while this offseason. I think that the guy is full of surprises. The guy is full of intrigue. He's already playing with so much more than house money based on how he came to New York. And yet it seems like he's just getting better and better. There were a lot of things we wish were different last year. His performance is certainly not one of them, other than the fact that, you know, I wish it wasn't just a 60 game season. He won, you know, home run, you know, title, 
and uh, it really hit a, re a remarkable number of home runs over the course of 60 games when you think about it. Who knows how that would have played out over, <laughs> over 162? Who knows how that would have played out you know, over any, any longer season, basically. But what he did was special, you know, and, and what he did was the best that, that could be done or was done uh, in that period of time. Uh, like you guys, I, I wasn't at every home game last year. But I will tell you, every single home game I was at, Luke Voigt hit at least one home run. In. So, <laughs> for my account, for my account, he had a home run in every game, basically. And every time I was at Yankee Stadium, he did it. Um, you know, but it was, you know, it was a special season. He, um, he's a humble guy. He's a great teammate. Those things really came out in, in the long conversation I had with him, just how he cares about his teammates. And obviously, um, he was outspoken about the importance of DJ LeMahieu being brought back and being on this team. He understood, like, you know, that what he did was over a short period of time, but he's also hungry to to do it again over a longer season. And, you know, whether he wins a home run title or not, who knows? But I, I got a feeling he's going to, you know, he's going to be a 270, 280 hitter, and he's going to hit a lot of home runs again this year uh, over a longer season. It was really interesting for me all last year when you would listen to him in the press conferences, the Zoom press conferences, if you will. Obviously, look, you don't get to be a, a Major League Baseball player without being pretty confident and, and obviously excellent at baseball. But I think that there was some sense from a lot of us like, oh, man, Luke, aren't you just like amazed? How, isn't this so funny that you're leading the league in home runs? Whereas he was always just like, no, this is the product of a real effort that I made. This was all conscious, you know, and, and, and things like that. And I think in reality, of course, that's probably true, but I don't know. I think as surprise, and, I, and I'll admit that I was surprised, I've been surprised by just about everything Luke Voigt has done from the time he came here, and I still was the guy saying Greg Bird is the future first baseman for the New York Yankees, and this guy Luke Voigt, who knows? But again, this wasn't just a guy getting hot for three weeks last year and riding that out. This was someone who changed everything about his preparation for the season, everything about the way his body worked, really, because he felt it would make him a, a stronger, more powerful hitter, and... Of course, everyone shows up to spring training in the best shape of their lives. When it actually happens, I think you take notice a little bit. Yeah, he, he did talk a lot about, you know, the adjustments he made. And, and, you know, for for me, it was fun to talk to him about that because he really took me through things that seemed simple to me. But, you know, for whatever, you know, reason, he decided this was the right time to make some changes, like not letting go of the bat with one hand and really having almost more of a compact swing and doing different things like that. You know, maybe looking at pitchers a different way, studying film of pitchers more uh, and more closely to the, the actual at bats, you know, things like that. I think he took a, his approach from being, you know, where he was really a hard worker to, you know, almost, you know, bringing it to a different level, kind of hitting the prime of his career and it all paid off. And, and some of those things are, you know, are kind of woven into this into this conversation with him. And it was fun to talk about. It was fun to to hear his enthusiasm about the changes that he made, because you don't you know, you don't hear or see guys light up like that unless, like you said, John, you know, there's real results coming out of that stuff. Al, I remember right after you had done the interview with Luke Voigt, uh, you kind of came away with this like you know, just real positive feeling about what a great guy he is to talk to. And I feel like he's one of the more, you know, transparent guys. Like he's really not, uh, 
there's no never any sort of ulterior motive in any answer to any question. He's just going to whatever you ask him, he's going to give you his honest thoughts and everything. And um, one of the topics I think that uh, was interesting that came up during your conversation with him was about needing the fans to be back. And I, I feel like, you know, during the 2020 season, you know, athletes of all sports were, were kind of focused in on doing their job and, and, you know, still trying to have success. But during the off season, once they were able to reflect on it a little bit, it seemed like they were able to really kind of articulate uh, how much they missed the fans. And, and Luke in particular, I feel like was really kind of impacted by that. Yeah. I think he's a guy, you know, his brother was a, a big time football player at West Point and, you know, football kind of feeds off, fan excitement more whereas in baseball it's kind of a reactive thing where the player hits a home run and you know and then there's a great reaction to it you know but it certainly enhances the moment it, it excites the player when they're running around the you know the bases or trotting around the bases and they can't hear, hear themselves think because the, the crowd is, is so great at Yankee Stadium and I think Luke is a guy who really did feed off that obviously in a more of a reactive way than you know, than maybe is the case in football. But I think it added a certain level of joy or excitement to every home run he had hit prior to 2020. Uh, you know, and I also think, you know, what was fun to talk to him about was the differences in the fan base, uh, of the fan bases he's played in front of, in his hometown in St. Louis and, and then in the Bronx. And it was a fun question to ask. And I just knew at that point in the conversation I was going to get a really good answer out of him. And he's like, yeah, you know, the, the, the fan base in St. Louis, they're so loyal, but they're so respectful. You know, they'll cheer for the player on another team if, you know, if that person does something extraordinary and they're not going to boo and they're not, you know, he's like, the Bronx is just crazy. You know, the, the fans in, in Yankee Stadium are just so vibrant and so loud. But he's the kind of guy that I think he appreciated the fans in his hometown of St. Louis but he loved playing in front of the fans at Yankee Stadium prior to the pandemic. We'll talk about this in our second segment, obviously, but I do think it's an interesting little tie between the two stories. You know, Nate, you have a lot from Higashioka in the piece you wrote. And I'll, and I'll mention in just the last week in conversations I had with David Garcia and also the pitcher Nick Nelson. I mean, it's such a real part of 2020, which is that idea of performing without fans, but in particular with the home runs, Nate, I, I loved that part where Higashioka says, it's not like he ever dreamed of hitting three home runs in a game, but he did dream of a curtain call at Yankee Stadium. And he's probably not going to repeat that three home run game, but to have done it without getting the curtain call. I mean, you know, it just changes everything about the moment in some ways. And I think that's the story of the entire 2020 season in so many different ways is I, I God, I feel terrible because I'm going to be quoting myself here when I say this, but you know, I wrote about this a little bit last year. What is athletic achievement? If not for the response, it, it, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. The reason these guys, the reason we thrill about this stuff and the reason there's so much excitement is because of the way it changes the mood in the stadium and the way that that, carries over when you're in the stadium, but also on TV. And you don't get that with fake fan noise. You don't get that with, you know, a joystick of MLB the show uh, uh, a sounds. It's this idea of just like a place like losing its mind. And yeah, look, I, I can't wait for Luke Voigt to hit another home run and for Kyle Higashioka to hit another home run or something like that, because I think they're owed some <laughs> fan reaction. It is a big part of, of, you know, when we think about 2020, you know, in our entire lives leading up to last year, like crowds were just 
part and parcel of what we did. I mean, especially being up here in the Northeast where, you know, it's so densely populated. We were just used to dealing with crowds, whether it was on the subway or in a restaurant or at a ball game or at a concert. You know, it's, it's really a big adjustment for the athletes themselves, uh, you know, trying to perform without that environment and as fans as well. I mean, uh, to me, you know, it, it takes a lot out of the viewing experience, watching games when there's no crowd. So I'm certainly looking forward to things, you know, improving on that front. And yeah, Kyle Higashioka was like, I'm just going to have to do something like that again so that I could get my curtain call. <laughs> Well, I will say that was one thing I noticed during the Super Bowl that I actually thought they did a really good job with was you could say whatever you want about um, cardboard cutout fans and things like that. But I don't know. I've, I, I watch a lot of college basketball and it's just getting so hard to watch something like Duke UNC in an empty Cameron. It was just soul crushing in, in, in some very specific mm-hmm. ways. What I thought was interesting about the way they did it for the Super Bowl was that in letting a limited number of fans in there, I don't know if you guys noticed this, instead of it being like there were sections with cardboard cutouts and then there were sections with fans, they really integrated it together. So if you were mm-hmm. in the stadium, you were sitting next to a cardboard fan and it made the stadium look whole. And I think that whatever teams individually try to do or whatever local governments allow them to do. I thought that was actually a good way of handling it because it actually made the stadium look like it was full of people. And I think one funny thing that we've all kind of learned from some of these sporting events with very few fans there is the way a a quarter full stadium can actually still sound like you expect a stadium to sound, but an empty stadium, it just can't. And, And there's, there's no making up for that. So uh, you know, we've gone totally around the bend here in terms of uh, <laughs> where this conversation started. But I, I did think that was an interesting thing as we look forward to kind of what baseball is going to look like this year. I think that's a great point. You know, just watching NFL games, not even just Super Bowl, but just the playoffs and, and games prior to the playoffs, you know, in December and stuff. There is that element of no matter what number of fans are there, it makes you kind of feel whole in a way. It makes you feel like, it's back to normal. You're watching something. It does add excitement. And we hope and anticipate we have some level of fans at Yankee Stadium this year. And I, and I agree with you. I think it's going to be um, much, much closer to a great experience with a small number of fans than kind of what was a little bit more of an empty experience with none. So I think we should uh, leave this segment here. I'll ask one last question. And I don't want to sound like I'm a wet blanket when I say this. So you'll forgive me. I think I went into 2020 and I tried to be consistent throughout 2020, basically saying you can't judge anyone on what happens this year. This year is too crazy. This year is too out there. So I'm the guy who's been sitting there saying, like Gary Sanchez, he didn't even have a 2020. Don't ask questions about it. Don't pretend it happened. Let's not judge Glaber Torres' defense or anything like that. You know, 2020 doesn't exist in my opinion. How do I square that circle with something like Luke Voigt then? Is it fair of me? Is it reasonable to me? To say, you can't judge these guys at all because 2020 was too weird, while also saying like, hey, but Luke Voigt's the real thing. I think you used Luke Voigt's words at the at the end of uh, the piece I did with him where he's like, you know, I'm not Roger Maris. You know, I'm not Mickey Mantle. I didn't hit 60 home runs. Um, leave it at that. You know, he's, he's humble. You know, when I was saying he was humble, I had a great season. I had a great 60-game season. Now I got to go do it, you know, in a... In a in a marathon, so to speak. Um, but he said it best. I, I think, you know, like I didn't hit 60 home runs, like, you know, it's cool. It's a good season. You know, it, 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 
but don't put me on a pedestal with, you know, with what I would have done or projected to have done, you know, over, over a full season. Cause those games didn't happen. I, I would say that he had a great season. He, he did. Um, it's not something that, and he would say the same thing. It's not something that's historic or lives in, you know, goes down in, you know, it was one of the most memorable seasons or something in Yankees history. Hey, maybe it would have if they played 162 games and he ended up hitting 58, 60 home runs, but that didn't happen. Give him credit for a great season. Move on. Leave it at that. It's not history. And I think he would, if he was on this podcast with us, just like when I was on the, having that long conversation with him, I think he would just be nodding his head up and down as I, as I said this and not, not be offended or disrespected. That was it. Well, uh, it was a great season, and uh, it's a great q and I'm excited for, uh, for our readers to check it out. It's uh, called Heart and Soul. It's in the spring issue of Yankees Magazine, which uh, should be arriving in, in March, or you can uh, hopefully pick it up on uh, newsstands uh, in New York or Tampa. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue our discussion about surprising home run feats in 2020. I think that the one we're about to get to is even a little bit more surprising, believe it or not, than Luke Floyd's home run championship, so stick with us. Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get his home run. Hey folks, it's Bucky Dent. I'm proud to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep to Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon. This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. As I said, it's time to move on from one home run champion to a really interesting look at the, the craziest home run feat you can imagine, in a sense, which is hitting three home runs in a game. It's fascinating every time it happens. It's one of those things that anytime it happens, you know, you're going to get a push notification on your phone at this point. You're going to absolutely do everything you can to turn on that game. And the crazy thing about it is that sometimes it's Kyle Higashioka who does it. And Nate, you got to do a great piece where you looked at, obviously, that incredible night. But what you chose to do, and I love this, is you really looked at it from a holistic perspective of all three home run performances in Yankees history and how the stories that exist inside each one. So before we get into them themselves, I'm curious, Nate, what what made you approach it that way and... I know you're a guy who loves research in general and loves finding these historical nuggets, but you know, how much fun did you have with it? Ton of fun. These are like absolutely my 
favorite type of stories to write. Um, I think I even might've started the research on this one before Kyle did it. Um, I, I might've had like a document going where I just, you know, you hear these little, uh, you know, anecdotes uh, that revolve around a, a subject or a theme. Uh, and sometimes I'll just start a document thinking that I might write a story about it somewhere down the line. And then lo and behold, last September 16th, Kyle Higashioka <laughs> goes out and does it uh, in a game against Toronto where the, the Yankees offense really just kind of caught fire. And so, yeah, you know, and, and a lot of times the way it works with these type of stories is I, I, I have pages and pages of notes and then you kind of just skim the, uh, the cream off the top. And, you know, it's kind of funny when you look at the names on the list and you see, you know, the, the obvious names, you know, Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio and Lou Gehrig. Mickey Mantle. Uh, but then there's, you know, some, some lesser known guys and, and Kyle Higashioka is still kind of uh, carving his, his, his name into the history books. So uh, not quite up there with the Mantles and Ruths, but had a great performance nonetheless. And uh, he had a lot of really like interesting things to say about it too. It was fun to just catch up with him on the phone uh, during this off season and, and relive one of the more special games he's ever had in the big leagues for sure. I always remember the 2011 World Series being at a game in Texas where Albert Pujols had three home runs, and you know you're doing something amazing when like the details that come over the press box, you know, score official scores announcement are the only other player who's done this is Babe Ruth and Reggie Jackson. Um, it's like okay, you know that that's pretty good company, and obviously since then Pablo mm -hmm. Sandoval did it too. But that that was the thing I took from this story so much. Nate was. One of the most amazing things about baseball is, you know, each one of those nine players has a chance to do everything that game. Every one of them can can do that. I mean, they're all major league players that can all do this stuff. And obviously, as we saw and as you mentioned in the story quite clearly, Higashioka really almost hit four that game. I mean, he went to the warning track on a fourth one. You know, when this happens, though, and, and, and you see you see it a lot when you play for the Yankees, maybe less if you play for some other teams with less of a history there, but... Higashioka's name, it doesn't matter what happens the rest of his career. His name is always on that list from now on. His name is always on that list of guys who've hit three home runs as a Yankee. And I mean, I'd love it if you would just go through some of those names that he joins right now, because of course, yeah, you do have the mantles and you do have the roots and, and things like that. But you also have names that are just like, what I loved about the story is learning about them because I had never really thought about them in that way. And knowing that Higashioka is now on that list that people who might totally have missed his career are now going to have a reason to learn a little bit about him someday when they're looking at that list too. Yeah, absolutely. If some other, you know, Yankees magazine editor 50 years from now decides to write a similar story, they're going to have to uh, dig up the, the tale of September 16th, 2020 when uh, Kyle Higashioka did it. And um, you know, he was, Catching Garrett Cole at the time, it was actually Garrett's uh, 100th career victory. Um, there were no fans in the stadium because of the pandemic. Higashioka was batting ninth that game. None of the previous 23 players in Yankees history had ever been batting ninth when they accomplished the feat. So with every one of these three home run performances, I found that there's always little interesting just nuggets about it. You know, of course, it, it all started with Babe Ruth and a course he did it in the biggest way possible he did it in the world series nobody had ever done it for the yankees and he did it uh not only that time but then two years later in the same stadium 
out at Sportsman's Park uh, in the same game of the World Series, game four. Uh, he did it again, the second time being in a winning, uh, you know, a year that the Yankees won the World Series. So from Ruth to, you know, of course, you mentioned Reggie Jackson and what he did against the Dodgers in the World Series. But, you know, some of the other ones I found interesting and, you know, I couldn't get them all in there. Otherwise, the story would have been like 20 pages long. But, you know, Tony Lazari was uh, a guy who had a monster game at Philadelphia's Shad Park. And he set the American League single game record for RBIs. He had two grand slams in the game. Uh, I think a two-run triple and a solo homer. So he had 11 RBIs, and that remains the, the single-game record for, uh, for the American League. Um, so many others like that. You know, we've had letters from readers who recall being at, uh, you know, the day Bobby Mercer hit. Uh, he hit four in a day. It was, you know, he hit one in his final at-bat of a doubleheader opener. And then in the second game against Cleveland, he hit three. You know, and then there were ones that I – didn't even know about myself. Cliff Johnson was a guy who, you know, he had been traded to the Yankees uh, in the middle of the year. And like two weeks later, um, he hit three in a game, including two in one inning, I believe. So, um, you know, a lot of just really cool, little interesting stories like that. And uh, like I said, when people look back on what Kyle Higashioka did in 2020, they'll be able to read, uh, maybe they'll come across this story and hear about the the haircut that he had from Yankees bullpen catcher Radley Haddad uh, before before his performance. It's a it's a really remarkable piece, and you know so many of the, the you know great historic pieces that you do um, make all of us better Yankee historians or more you know more well read Yankee historians than you know than we were prior to reading them. Besides you know the, the ones that you mentioned in terms of like the you know, the other regular season three home run performances by Yankees and Yankee stars, which of those stood out to you as being special or remarkable to, to you? You know, I was asked once if I could hop in a time machine and go back to any game in history, what would I go see? And my answer at the time, I, it might still be, was uh, June 3rd, 1932. It was the Yankees playing the Philadelphia A's in Philly. I think it would be cool to see Shad Park, you know, one of those really interesting ballparks that have been lost to history. And on that day, uh, Lou Gehrig hit four home runs and narrowly missed a fifth, um, which has never been done in a major league game. So, and he, Gehrig was one of, I think there was like maybe six or seven future hall of famers that played in that game. Uh, it was just a, uh, it, it would have been a lot of fun to see that one. So uh, th that one certainly got mentioned in here. I mean, you can't write a story about Yankees three home run performances and not bring up Lou Gehrig. He did it four times, uh, including that, that game where he had four. Nobody else did it more than three. Babe Ruth did it twice in the World Series, once in the regular season. Um, I think DiMaggio might have done it three times. So that one, you know, Gehrig stands out to me. And then, you know, I even slipped in a mention of uh, being there to witness Daryl Strawberry do it <laughs> in person. I was a 17-year-old a uh, going into my senior year of, of high school, and uh, me and a few buddies decided we were going to go catch a Yankee game, and we're sitting out there in the bleachers, Section 39, mm -hmm. and uh, Daryl Strawberry, August 6, 1996. He went, he went deep three times that day, and it's 
you know, it's, it's really exciting. You know, everybody knows how, how great Yankees fans are and how much they, you know, appreciate historic performances like that. Um, and, you know, we certainly showered uh, Daryl with the due praise that day. But, you know, that part sort of makes Higashioka's a little bittersweet. You know, he, he did something that only two dozen people in, in Yankees history can say they've done. And uh, unfortunately, there, were, there was no one there to see it outside of his teammates and the opponents. So, uh, like he said, he'll just have to do something like that again. <laughs> you know, Nate, it's, it's funny because you mentioned if you could go back to, to any game, obviously, and... I've always kind of wondered a, a slightly similar question of which sporting event do you most wish Twitter had existed for um, mm-hmm. or social media in general. And I think that an easy answer for a lot of fun reasons that I sometimes go back to is the the game against Russia in the 1980 Olympics, largely because it was being taped late also. So like, it, the way that this news would have trickled out would have been really fun um, on Twitter. But I truly think and I promise this is a little bit relevant to your story, that the sporting event I most wish that Twitter existed for would be Game 7 of the 1926 World Series because the way that the social media world would have exploded at Babe Ruth getting caught stealing to end a World Series, it it just makes me happy just thinking about how fun and ridiculous that would have been in the aftermath. But, of course, I mean, the reason I bring that up is because a couple days earlier, he had hit three home runs in the game, and then he gets caught stealing to end the World Series. And what I love so much about the story is, as I've said, on the one hand, the the box score line looks very similar for these guys with that three, or in Lou Gehrig's case, the four number there. But what you did such a good job in the story of was, here are the story of the guys who did it as catchers. There are only two. You know, and one of them's not Gary Sanchez. He did it as a DH. Here is Kyle Higashioka, who did it from the nine spot in the lineup. No one else has ever done that. All these little things that, again, differentiate this one sporting event or this one sporting feat that seems like it would be the story in and of itself. Actually, no, these are all individual moments that really are, are very different when you boil them down. You could probably watch uh, Yankee games from here to eternity, and you might never see another catcher batting ninth hit three home runs in a game hopefully it never happens in front of an empty stadium again so um yeah i mean there's there's with each one of these there's a reason why it's unique and why it's special and uh his was certainly no different even though it was some strange circumstances um those were major league pitchers he hit them off of they count in the in the records forever and uh he should you know take a lot of pride in, in doing what he did you should take a lot of pride in, in doing what you did and putting a really special story together as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I think uh, I think our readers will get a kick out of it. It is a great story. It's it's truly great to be talking about our stories again and to know that we are entering that time of year when we get to start talking about a lot of new things. When we get to start talking about baseball stories that haven't happened yet. Uh, as fun as it is to kind of go back and recap some of these things. <laughs> Pretty soon, new things are going to be happening on the daily, and that's pretty great. But in the meantime, as we get ready for the last week before players report spring training, and then obviously our next episode's starting when players are already there, Al, Nate, great to talk to you guys and look forward to doing it again soon. Same here. Sounds good, John. And to everyone else, thank you for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. And before you go, I want to tell you more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you like to hear from us today, you should also check out Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, our newest podcast, The Bucky Hosts. Each episode features conversations with former teammates and other greats from the game's history. We're talking Yankees baseball, which is pretty fun. 
you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcast or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. For Yankees Magazine subscribers, we're so grateful for your help in keeping our magazine going. We have just unfortunately ended our holiday offers, but of course you can still head over and subscribe, renew your subscription, buy a gift subscription for somebody else. There's tons of great things you can find by going to yankees.com slash publications by calling 800-GO-YANKS for more information. Of course, we're on Twitter at Yanks Magazine, and you can also read our content online at yankees.com slash magazine. That's it. See you next time. Happy spring trainings pretty soon. And go Yanks. Hi, this is Luke Boyd. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much and go Yanks. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.